Resurrection Assembly of God. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The 4th of September, 2022. Why we recite the Nicene Creed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4. through 4. Well, church, over the last month, we've been talking about why we do what we do at church. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about prayer here at the altars with our prayer partners. We've talked about communion and the Lord's Prayer. Last week we talked about the Lord's Prayer, so if you want to listen to that, it's on the podcast for you. Today, I want to talk about the Nicene Creed. Why we recite the Nicene Creed together. Um, as with other topics, there are more reasons than I can give in a single sermon for why we do this. But I'll give you this right at the beginning, so if you just ignore me for the rest of the sermon, you got this much, okay? So just pay attention for at least this much. Um, The most basic reason we do the Nicene Creed, why we recite it, is I don't want anyone to wonder what we believe as Christians. I don't want anyone who calls Resurrection Assembly of God their home church to wonder what we believe. And I don't want any visitors to wonder what we believe. I want everyone to be able to attend one single Sunday. And after a single Sunday, they can go home knowing without any confusion what we confess. I mean, don't you think, don't you, think you should know what we believe? We should. That's what I thought. So that's the most basic reason. But uh, for the rest of this sermon, I want to unpack all of that a little bit, um, and I want to do three, three things in particular. First, I want to tell you a couple of stories about why I think this is so important that we recite the Nicene Creed together. Then, I want to give you a brief historical snapshot of the Nicene Creed, you know, so you know where it came from. And then I want to show you the biblical basis for the Nicene Creed, because, well, everything we do here ought to ultimately be based on the Bible, right? So here it goes. Let me begin with a couple of personal stories. Um, So I know a woman here in Iowa City. She's an accomplished scholar. She teaches at uh, our beloved University of Iowa. Go Hawks. She was Ryan Furlong's doctoral advisor, uh, which is how I met her. If you don't remember... Uh, Ryan Furlong, he was one of our other drummers, and uh, him and his wife, his family, they've moved back to Minneapolis, where he's now teaching himself. Um, But uh, she was his doctoral advisor, and he introduced me because he thought that she and I could be friends. Anyway, we met for coffee one day, and I asked her how it was that she ended up doing the scholarly work that she, in fact, does. Um, In her work, she talks about the culture of post-secularism. Now, raise your hand if you've heard the term post-secularism before. Just a couple, right? Okay. That's a a fancy word, but at root, she teaches and writes about the role of Christianity in the West. And with that, the rise of non-Christianity in the West. But it's even more specific than that. In particular... She doesn't talk about the rise of established religions as an alternative to Christianity, but the rise of so-called 
secularism, and then what comes after the rise of secularism, which is, uh, it's both religious and not religious at the same time. You don't need to worry about all these uh, details necessarily, unless you're interested. The point is though, is that she's a Christian, and she analyzes Western culture from a Christian perspective. So I got together with her to chat, and I asked her how, how it is that she is a Christian herself. Um, she told me that she grew up in Texas as part of a non-denominational church. And when she went off to college, she left Christianity because she just wasn't convinced by it. This is a, an ongoing, what's the word I should use? Crisis? It just, it happens a lot. Kids go off to college and they decide they don't believe in Christianity anymore. And uh, it's our job as a church to think critically about how to give children and teens and young adults both the milk and the meat of the gospel so they're not bamboozled by new fancy ideas that they may or may not encounter at the University of Iowa. She told me she still believed in God even though she didn't want to be a Christian anymore. So she decided to investigate other religions. And as part of this process, she picked up an English translation of the Quran, which of course we all know is not actually the Quran because the Quran is only the Quran if it's in Arabic. But nevertheless, she picked up an English version of the Quran and decided that she was gonna read it to see if she wanted to become a Muslim. And she told me that it struck her that for large portions of the Quran, Muhammad, the presumed author of the Quran, was just taking Christianity to task about two things that he really hated about the Christian faith. The first thing that Muhammad really just despised about Christianity was the incarnation. You know, the story that we believe that the only begotten son of God the Father was born of the Virgin Mary, that doctrine. He really hated it. And he also really despised the Trinity, the idea of the Trinity, our belief that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three and one, and one and three. So yeah, both of these things really upset Muhammad because, well, to him, it was evil to say that God could become human, just flat out evil. And it was also evil to say anything beyond God is one. The Trinity is repulsive whether or not Muhammad ever encountered a proper Christian defense of our beliefs that God is Trinity and that God became man is not entirely obvious. There are some rumors that he was grossly misinformed and he was under the impression that the Trinity was actually God the Father, God the Mother, Mary, and Jesus the Son, which of course we would have a problem with that too. So maybe, maybe Muhammad could have been a Christian after all, um, if he had met someone along the way. Sorry, that was uh, not planned. But um, anyway, my new friend at the University of Iowa, uh, the scholar told me that after reading the Quran, for the first time in her life, she knew what Christianity was all about. She had grown up in church her whole life. And it took Muhammad's anger and polemics in the Quran for her to realize that Christianity is all about the incarnation and the Trinity. 
and that everything we believe flows from that. So she became a Christian by reading the Quran. The Holy Spirit works in mysterious ways, does he not? So hear me out on this, church. I don't want anyone to have to read the Quran to know what we're all about as Christians. That's pretty reasonable, isn't it? I don't want anyone to have to read any book to find out what we believe as Christians. I want them to be able to come to church once and hear it. After talking with her, I, I reflected on my own experience, and here's the second story of sorts. And I realized that my own story is in, in some ways very parallel to hers. I realized that it wasn't because of my church attendance that I could articulate what the Christian faith was all about. Rather, it was because of my parents. There they are, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. They made a disciple of me. Praise the Lord. Uh, I was in church my entire childhood. And I don't want to be too harsh. Because I grew up, you know, moving around a lot. So that might be in part why I missed some important catechism. But that also means I've attended a lot of churches. And I have pastored in multiple churches. I can tell you from my own experience that a lot of churches think that they're being crystal clear about what the Christian faith is all about, but they're not. And that's a problem, which is why we recite the Nicene Creed here. So there's no confusion. We believe in Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary, and we believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I think that's a pretty good reason to do it here, because I don't want anybody to ever be confused about what our confession is. So that may bring you to ask, this is the second part of the sermon, what is this Nicene Creed? Where did it come from? Well, let me give you just a very brief introduction, because it's a good story. The word Nicene comes from a city called Nicaea. Raise your hand if you knew that. Anybody? Or a couple? Yep. In the year 325, it's a long time ago, isn't it? The year 325, the church called everyone to meet in the city of Nicaea, which is a town that would be in modern-day Turkey. The church leaders from Africa, from Europe, and Asia all came together to agree on what the Christian faith, in fact, was. And the Nicene Creed is what they came up with. Is the basic story of the Christian faith. I want you to think about the fact that this, this thing that we recite has been recited in churches all across the world now for 1,697 years. That's a long time. We're joining our voices with the living and the dead. Some of you might be thinking, well, the year 2325, well, you know, being a very long time ago, is still quite a ways after Jesus died and rose again, right? Like if Jesus died and rose again in the first century, we're talking a couple of centuries later that they actually put this thing together. So what took them so long? Well, uh, they did have the Apostles' Creed much earlier. They, we did have the Apostles' Creed much earlier. In fact, we don't, the, the Apostles' Creed goes so far back 
historically, we don't even know when it was written. Um, the rumor is, is that the 12 apostles each put down what they thought was important. And if you divide it up correctly, there's precisely 12 phrases, one for each of the 12. Isn't that nice? They had the Apostles' Creed much, much earlier, though, and the fact that they could all agree on the Nicene Creed shows us that this was already the common belief of the one holy worldwide church. So in other words, at this council, they were just making clear what most people already knew and confessed. So that's the history. Finally, today, uh, this is the third part, I want to talk about the biblical basis for reciting the Nicene Creed. Uh, in the simplest place I could think to go, because, well, you know, the Nicene Creed is in some ways a summary of the entire Bible. But the, the most obvious place to go is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. And I want us to turn there. Do we have a page number? Did I remember that? 903. There we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Page 903 of your pew Bible. 1 Corinthians comes right before 2 Corinthians. And it comes right after Romans. Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. There you go. Let's read it. Paul says in the Holy Spirit, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul says it to the Corinthian church, it is really important that we always keep what is important, the most important. We just read it, but he says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand. So, Resurrection Assembly, let us be reminded every time we gather together of the gospel that we preach, that we received, and in which we stand. We do that in multiple ways here at church. For goodness sakes, someone preaches here every Sunday, and if... The gospel is not being proclaimed from this pulpit every Sunday. That's a big problem. We do our best to do that as God helps us. But we also sing. The gospel's in our songs. We pray. The gospel's in our prayers. We pray the Lord's Prayer. And we rehearse Christ's sacrifice over the meal that we celebrate. But we also do this in the Nicene Creed. We remind ourselves that Christ became incarnate, the Virgin Mary, and that God is Trinity. Paul says this, he says, the thing of first importance is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Church, this is what the Nicene Creed does for us. It reminds us of Christ, that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. Every time we recite it, we remind ourselves of that. And so we fulfill the scriptures by keeping first things first. Now, you may say that the Nicene Creed is about a few more things than Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. 
And that's very much true. But that's the heart of it. Everything else in the Nicene Creed comes from the Bible and supplies both the backstory of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and the implications. So the future outworking of Jesus' work on our behalf. What did uh, 1 Corinthians here say? It says Jesus died, was buried, and rose again in accordance with the scriptures. So Paul is saying there is a backstory. And that backstory begins with God, the Father, creator of heaven and earth. It begins with acknowledging that Jesus is one with the Father, and that he was there in the beginning with God, and that he was God, and that he is God, God from God, light from light, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. The backstory also means remembering that the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets, just like we say in the Nicene Creed. He spoke through the prophets. The prophets foretold Christ's appearing, that in the fullness of time, Jesus would appear. And of course, then there's the implications of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as well, because, you know, because of Jesus' work, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we have life and life more abundantly. Because of Jesus' work, we have the church, which we also confess, and that, though we are divided, unfortunately, and we have fought about many things over the years, we are still one because God is one, and in Christ and by the Holy Spirit, we are one with God. Finally, we cannot forget that the story is not yet finished. Because Jesus died and rose again, we also will rise again and have eternal life. So church, why wouldn't we want to be sure to remind ourselves of this as often as we gather? Why wouldn't we want every visitor to our church to know what precisely it is that we believe? The Nicene Creed is so incredibly practical in that respect. It is historical, because it has proven the test of time, and it's biblical. Everything in it, from beginning to the end, is from the Bible. That's why we recite it here, because it's practical, historical, and biblical. It's why we do what we do. Amen. Now, in closing, I want to say two things in terms of like application, the implications of doing this. And the first thing I want to say uh, is that I want you to notice what the Nicene Creed is not. And one of the things that it is not is a code of ethics. And this is important for us to remember. Christianity is not a moral framework in the first instance. In other words, the first thing anyone ought to know about Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. This might sound strange to you because I know Christianity has gotten this reputation of being about a bunch of moral commandments that you have to follow, and that's how you get to heaven, right? If you do X, Y, and Z. And it is true that Christianity demands a certain way of life. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a moral command. But Christianity is not about that in the first instance. What Christianity is first and foremost about is a confession 
It's about repentance. It's about forgiveness. And it's about worship. You can maintain all the morality that Christianity claims that Christians should follow. You can not murder people. You can never steal a thing in your entire life. You can always tell the truth. But that is not what it means to be a Christian. All sorts of people who aren't Christians do those things. To be a Christian is to confess God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be baptized in his name. I've often invited us to pledge our allegiance to God as we confess the creed. Sometimes I say that. That's because Christianity is first and foremost about your loyalty. You know, when Americans say the Pledge of Allegiance, when they recite the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, they are not promising never to break the law. It's not in the Pledge of Allegiance. Rather, they are pledging their loyalty to the country. And that's how it is for Christianity. Christianity is about where your loyalties lie. You can be a terrible, terrible sinner and still be a Christian. We don't want you to keep on sinning because, well, sin is bad for you. It's bad for us. But, you know, you can't deal with sin without the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. And you can't have the grace and power of the Holy Spirit without confessing that he is the Lord, the giver of life. So I will tell you, 100%, don't murder people. Don't steal stuff. Don't even want to do those things. 100%. I'm there. But before you don't murder someone, bend your knee to Jesus. Worship him. Bow down before him. Because that's what you got to do to call yourself a Christian. Now that I've just said that, I'm going to say one other closing remark about application. And Jesse, you can ring the sheep bell. This is the last thing. I want to invite you to take the Nicene Creed home with you. Just like I said last week about the Lord's Prayer, take it home. Remind yourself on the daily what it is that you believe. Because we live in a world in which resides the ruler of the power of the air, the devil. And he is constantly trying to erode our loyalty, chip away at it. So we've got to remind ourselves of who we are loyal to day in and day out. And that's to God, not to anyone or anything else. You know, on our way to school every morning, we recite the Apostles' Creed with Lass. And then we pray with him before he goes into school. And we pray over his school. I always say that the word of God says that Jesus himself said, let the little children come to me. And so we pray all the kids of Lucas Elementary will come to Jesus. But we recite the Apostles' Creed with last because the governor of Iowa mandated that the Pledge of Allegiance has to be said in the public school system you know, every day. And, uh, and I just want Laz to remember that his first loyalty is to God, not to any country. So we got to do that before we get there. Do something like that with your kids if you're a parent. If you are not a parent, 
there's a lot of kids around here who could use your Christian influence in their lives. So you can help us do this in other ways. If you need to keep your Christianity with you throughout your day because you don't know how to pray or you struggle to remember where your loyalty lies, perhaps you could print off the Lord's Prayer and the Nicene Creed. You could laminate, laminate them. If you don't have a laminator, you can just do it on cardstock or Pastor Abby will laminate it for you. You can keep one in your left pocket and one in your right pocket. If you prefer dresses, you can buy dresses with pockets, so I'm told. Or you can put it in the bag that you carry. Um, alternatively, you could get it also, uh, you could get them tattooed on your forearms. I, I wasn't saying you had to, Kirk. It was just a, a it, there's a lot of possibilities. That's what I'm saying. You could even put like a, a skull of a T-Rex on your forearm and uh, put a speech bubble coming out of its mouth, which is the Lord's Prayer or the Nicene Creed. Um, you, could ta you could tape these things to the dashboard of your car if you're in your car commuting, and you can pray and confess at every stoplight. Don't look at your phone while you're driving. That's why you gotta print them off and tape them to your dashboard. Like the Lord's Prayer, the creed doesn't take long to confess, 60 seconds maybe or less. But God will use it to form your heart to love him and to love your neighbor. That's his promise, not mine. So let us now, once again, confess our loyalty and approach the table right here where our Lord promises to meet us. Amen. Holly, will you come on back up? The kids are here.